American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Throw it all away. Welcome to episode 171 of American Timelines by History for Jerks, and I am Joe back again solo with you because Amy is still on her quest to catch up with her job, even though it is Thanksgiving break. Uh, She will be back soon, uh, just trying to get ahead of the curve there with her little kids. Uh, She's very busy. But I have some cool guests uh, that Amy actually knows, too. joining me and it's probably good that it's just me with these guys because you don't want too many people on here but i have (laughs) two guests with me right here from uh our days at bowling green state university uh please welcome art fun eye and milo o'brien mike o'brien we call him milo uh welcome guys (laughs) (laughs) thanks for having me joe yeah thanks a lot thank you yeah sorry about that milo i should have asked you first what i could call you but Oh, you know what? Um, either one of those is fine. There are still people in this world who only know me as Milo. So okay, that's, that's go for it. So, so I I actually think I know like four Mike O'Briens. Like it's the most common mm-hmm. name in the world apparently. So we know yeah. you as Milo. When somebody says Mike O'Brien, which one? Milo. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So guys, so tell us. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't want to give any credentials up front because I didn't know what you wanted to be billed as. Like if you wanted to this, some people want to be like don't tell my students that I'm on this podcast or anything like that. So I'll let you guys just, you, these guys are here. These guys are old friends. Like we haven't probably all three talks for 20 years. Um, but these guys are great theater guys that I know them from the theater world and they have something to plug a, a radio play online. So tell, t- go ahead and tell me about this fellas. Well, you want me to Milo or do you want no. me to? You start, and I'll supplement. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, it's WJCU Christmas special. About 12 years ago, when I was working at WJCU and a grad student, I wanted to produce something more than just the usual fare of radio, which, you know, is music and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was such a diverse, and it still is such a diverse radio station that I... Um, I, I went to the station management and I told him, look, I want to produce some radio. And I said, I want to do I want to do radio drama. It hasn't been done in a while, and particularly here in Cleveland and around the country. And they said, well, go ahead and let's see where it goes. So 12 years later, I'm still <laughs> producing it, writing it, directing it, and all that stuff. So it's an annual – it's been an annual Christmas radio play every year? Yep, every it's year. it's not the same thing. It's not just Christmas Carol every year. Oh, no, it's, it's not Christmas. It's not Christmas related. You just do it at this time. Oh, it it, it is always Christmas oriented. It's it's WJCU Christmas special. Oh, it is a Christmas special. Okay. Yeah, you, ju- you. We, yeah, but we were right. We uh, art writes something new every year. Yeah. Gotcha. Or yeah. adapts something new every year. Yeah. Oh, so ad- now adapt. So, what are some of the ones you've done in the past? 
Well, let's see. I did um, uh, The Gift of the Magi, of course, by um, O. Henry, for instance. Okay. Um, I've adapted. The one, the one that was really lucky about adapting was the Anti-Claus trilogy by Elise Primavera. Oh, what's the what is that? What's the anti clause? Pardon my ignorance. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. It's a children's book series. I was volunteering some time at a local crisis nursery. They have a Christmas, um, oh, you know, a, a fundraiser every Christmas, and uh-huh. so um, I was asked to work in the toy area, which I was like, great. So I was sorting these books, and I found this book called Anti Clause, and it was such a cute book, and I thought, I, I want to read this. Uh-huh. So I asked my, I asked the lady in charge. I said, while we're at lunch, would you mind if I read this book and she said no and I just loved it and so I thought you know this would be kind of cool on radio so I emailed the author uh-huh. and within 10 minutes I got a response saying well I don't normally say yes but I'm going to say yes to this really yeah it was really really weird because that's not how it usually works <laughs> <laughs> and uh <laughs> And so there it was. The first one yeah. came and went, and the one kid that was in it with me, uh, she said, are you going to do the second one? And I said, what second one? And she showed me this second book. So oh I God. approached her again, and she said, well, sure, go ahead. And wow. so we did the second, and then we did the third. But the crazy part of it was is that I'm glad I didn't know it because – I didn't read the dust cover. She's a New York Times bestselling author. <laughs> so you would have been intimidated had you known yeah. what a big deal she was. And yeah. You just thought she was some no-name, probably. Well, wow. I, you know, I just thought she was a children's writer. I didn't know she was a New York Times bestseller, you know? Yeah. And so... Uh, and so that that friendship and it's still there you know i i I talk to her on occasion and stuff but um after that i kind of wanted to do something that was really really mine Mm -hmm. and so i came up with this series called the kringle town chronicles okay and uh it was just this crazy world of holiday characters um let's see in the first one we've got uh we've got We've got Santa Claus, obviously, because it's a Christmas special. Um, who else is in that one, Milo? Oh, heavens. Um, let's see. We have Mother Nature. That's right. Re- um, one of the St. Paddy's Day leprechauns. That's right. Um, oh, stars. Who isn't in that? Quite uh, let's see. A cherub. One of the St. Valentine's Day cherubs. Right. Um, and... Oh. It's elves. It's a lot of elves and things, yeah. but it sets up the whole thing. What happens? Santa is uh, is doing his annual ride, and he spills some Christmas magic in his sleigh, and so it brings these three plush animals to life. <laughs> awesome! One hilar- hilarity ensues. Yeah, <laughs> basically. But what happens? What the the, the story is that. Um, uh, they uh, they they just don't fit in. Uh, one has a real I don't know whether you New York or Chicago mouth. Which one, Milo? Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> if you're talking about Wesley, yeah, Wesley. He's I I I never put a an accent on him. He just kind of came out kind of somewhere between Curly from the Three Stooges and Bugs Bunny. <laughs> so New York ish. Yeah. yeah. So can we listen to these the ones from previous years, or is it just one every year it comes out and then it kind of goes away? Well, the way the special works is pretty much 
a lot of the content that's on that day are the plays from the past. Oh, so okay. yeah, definitely uh, there's they're going to be rerunning the first one uh, because this is chapter two. Because I, I did it as a cliffhanger, crazy enough. I, I ran out of steam. Um, okay. What is, happens is is these three are these three plush animals are just they just they're bulls in china shops. And so they, the elves go to Santa Claus and say, listen, you need to get these guys out of here. Otherwise, Christmas isn't going to happen. <laughs> so he sends them on this quest to talk to Mother Nature about um, uh, uh, to find out whether the snow is going to happen. And then to see if she might be able to come up with a creative way uh, to spruce up the Christmas tree. And wow. so they get the rainbow. They get the rainbow, but the, they don't realize they have it. And they come back and Wesley tries to tries to to use this box and try to turn on the rainbow well it gets way big and the whole thing shatters onto the christmas tree and it's all and it, kind of like a precursor oh, no. to christmas lights yeah wow so, okay so that was the cliffhanger i ran out of steam i'm not gonna lie okay. and then uh, i was able to percolate to figure out how am i going to put this thing back together but absolutely they will be able to hear um they'll be able to hear the first one and then there's a recap that i wrote and then we go right on into chapter two and so when will these these will be you can stream this on wjcu's website yes either wjcu.org or you can go to al E-X-A, I'm not going to say it because I don't want to turn on anybody's if they've got it going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or or that other one, S-I-R-I, you know, any of those. But you can yeah. actually just tell them, uh, I want to uh, play WJCU radio, and they will do it. Okay, gotcha. So you can just play the radio. now. That's the cool thing. I bet every radio station you can just listen to online anywhere now. Oh, so, yeah. And this mm -hmm. will be on... When, like when will they start are they starting now the christmas well stuff? no that is a special it's it, it's gotten so large that they do the 24th and the 25th with it okay gotcha. so they you'll see the schedule right up on wjcu.org mm -hmm. um and you can see when it's when uh, kringletown uh, chronicles is playing chapter two which is the new one or chapter one gotcha. but they're going to be back to back okay cool you wrote both those yes scratch. wow yes awesome that's great um that's exciting so okay cool well thank you gosh, absolutely gosh, both of you guys for being here and so and you both play multiple voices on these milo does i don't yeah don't i do will i will this year play a couple different voices you will. we had somebody for every part last year oh cool um but the cast has expanded, so <laughs> awesome. But uh, yeah, so and all our listeners can now check it out too. Oh, absolutely, jcu.org. That's awesome. Or you can tell Alexa Ooh. and Siri, <laughs> <laughs> Alexa, fight Siri. Uh, that'll piss people off. Um, but I don't mind. <laughs> uh, that's cool. So, <laughs> but now that we've covered that, and um, we're gonna jump in, are you guys ready to jump into 1954 with me? Sure, absolutely. A little trip down memory lane and so what we do here on american timelines is we it's a true crime podcast it's a history podcast it's a pop culture podcast it's a little bit of both uh, my wife wanted to be true crime i hate true crime uh so it'll be kind of funny that i'm going to be telling a true crime story uh without her uh so it's been kind of weird without her but i like pop culture i like telling people what was on tv uh during a horrible murder uh and things like that so and goofy things that happen. So I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to start off with a few things that 
started in 1954, sometime in the year. We don't really have dates for them, but just kind of notable things. Did you know 1954? Blank happened, for one. Uh, the, the catchphrase from M&M's, melts in your mouth, not in your hands, began in 1954. Huh. And that, Really? Yep. I thought that was a lot more recent. Yeah. No, 1954. They came up with that formula to have that candy shell that supposedly doesn't melt in your hands, um, but melts Mm. right in your mouth. Uh, Another 1954 thing, uh, aluminum cans for soda uh, began in 1954. Do you guys want to guess what the first soda company that used aluminum cans is? You would Hmm. think Coca-Cola as the obvious first guess probably probably the oldest yeah it's actually royal crown so rc Mm -hmm. uh-huh in 1954 now they used cans they started canning a little bit sooner but they used i guess they used like tin cans like yeah because i remember this big push in the 70s to jump to aluminum yeah yeah so 54 is the first aluminum and i guess it was way cheaper and lightweight and yeah, like it's that, a weight so. issue, from what I understand. Interesting. Huh. I honestly don't even know if Royal Crown, if RC Cola still made. I haven't really. I don't drink soda, so I don't really. I'd imagine it still exists. I think it is. I think it still exists. When's the last it, time you drank one, Art? Oh my God! It had to be twenty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'll have to look next time I'm in the soda aisle. We down here. We have. I'm sure Art. You're now in North Carolina. Now you have. Cheer wine. Have you, you bet. Cheer wine? Yeah. Yes, I've had that. I've had it. It, it kind of tastes a little bit like Dr. Pepper, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. They have yeah. cherry, cherry cheer wine. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a big, big deal down here. Like you, you have to love it or else you will, you will be ostracized. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Duke's Mayo. Yeah, Duke's Mayo. I'm a hundred percent Duke's Mayo. Yeah. They had here in Charlotte, they had the Duke Mayo Bowl. To start the college football season, it was uh, Clemson and, and Georgia. And there was a guy they showed on TV. He was, like, right by the 50-yard line, I think. He was a college kid, and he was <laughs> he ate a whole jar of Duke's mayo oh, like no. on, during the game. Like <laughs> He was, like, dumping it into his mouth. Like oh. just <laughs> did he make it through the game? I don't know. Oh. They didn't show him barfing later, but I think if they did, they would have cut away because Duke's would have been pissed. But uh, he had to have thrown up later. I mean, it was, he was covered in mayo. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, That's I awful. Couldn't, I couldn't help but wanting a little bit. I love Duke's mayo. I definitely – I don't know if I could just eat a whole jar. Yeah, that's that's uh, the thing, yeah. yeah. So this podcast episode sponsored by Duke's mayo. Uh, <laughs> well, keep it up. They may call you. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to chug a, a jug of Duke's mayo before every episode from now on. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Good luck with that. What's the sound of Duke's Mayo being chugged? Is it, uh, oh. I don't know. What? All right, another thing in 1954, a drink called the Pina Colada was invented. Oh. In 1954 in Puerto Rico at the Caribe Hilton. Mm, I like that. According to Forbes magazine, the Pina Colada hails from San Juan, Puerto Rico, where it was created by bartender Ramon Monchito Marrero at the Caribe Hilton in 1954. Wow. He mixed up a fruity blend of rum, coconut cream, and pineapple juice, and boom, everyone's favorite summer treat was created. And uh, also gave way to someone to write a song about it. Yes. That, uh, and you know, do you, are you guys uh, fans of that song? 
uh, <laughs> I don't know. Fan. I yeah. know of it. I don't yeah. know. I just, I hate to say the old trope that people are saying online now. I was today years old when I realized, like, I actually listened to it recently during the pandemic. I listened, you know, I know that song, of course, but I never really listened to the words. Right. And that the story of that song, like, you know, that story of that song on how he's. He responds yeah. to a personal ad, yes. and it turns out it's his girlfriend putting out the, or his wife putting out the personal ad. They both want to cheat on each other, and then it, they're cheating on each other with themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I do remember that. that. Yeah. So now, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe everybody else just pays attention to the lyrics, and I, I always know just the hook, but um, I have a new respect for that song, and I plan <laughs> on doing it at karaoke someday. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> I hope you guys are there. Uh, okay, here's another fun one. Uh, when we talk about chugging things, um, I don't know if you guys have heard. I don't know how familiar you are with Australian prime ministers <laughs> or former Australian prime ministers. If I heard a name, maybe, maybe Bob Bob Hawke. No, not ring a bell. It's with me. A-J-W-K-E. So, former Australian prime minister Bob Hawke is actually in the Guinness Book of World Records for drinking two and a half pints of beer. Two and a half pints. Listen to this. Two and a half pints of beer in 11 seconds. Oh, jeez. 11 seconds. Two and a half pints. Like, I can't even drink one pint in in, in 11 seconds. And this was so I couldn't find exactly when in 1954. I'm not sure he remembers uh, (laughs) when he did that. But he did it while he was in college (laughs) at Oxford. And there's some discrepancy as to where the record actually took place. The Guinness Book of World Records entry cites Oxford and specifically the (laughs) Turf Tavern Pub, which still exists, uh, just outside the city walls of Oxford. And it actually has a blackboard marking the achievement, I think, still to this day. Now, this pub, the Turf Tavern Pub, is also known as the watering hole for Oscar Wilde when he was there. Okay. Uh, really? Huh. Richard Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor drank there. Tony Blair drank there. Margaret Thatcher drank there. Most famously, possibly, though, it was the place where uh, reportedly, where Bill Clinton did not inhale from a marijuana <laughs> joint. He was studying in Oxford, and that's where he said he did marijuana and didn't inhale. Uh, so this bar is super famous, and it's also supposedly the place where uh, Bob Hawk chugged this beer. And according to his memoirs, according to his memoirs, though, he said it didn't happen at this bar, even though they claim it did. Even he though said Guinness it has said- it on record. Yeah, he said, yeah, they, yeah, they, I don't know. He, he says it happened at a nearby dining hall of University College, uh, one of the constituent colleges of Oxford University, where he was a student. And he said he did it because it was an arcane punishment for failing to wear his academic gown to dinner. He was quoted to say, some bastard had borrowed mine, uh, my gown, and as a punishment, he was sconced, quote unquote, sconced. And that's when you're forced to beat the sconce master in drinking from a pewter pot. It's equivalent to a yard glass uh, or a face. Or if you don't do that, you have to face a fine. So you have to beat, you have to chug. Basically, it's a chugging contest. And it's huh. kind of, it sounds to me like it's a Greek ritual. It's like, a, you know, the, the sconce master challenges you. You forgot your robe. You now have to either pay or drink a, 
two and a half pints of, <laughs> of beer. And... So, so wait a minute. You mean his school is is this just like a fraternity prank? I, or is I this the actual a... school right. punishing him <laughs> by chugging two and a half pints of beer? Yeah. I, I think it's it's got to be a fraternity thing, right? It's probably. I would, but and it's 1954, so all of the. Man. Yeah. So, yeah, everything's out. So that's all I kind of found. I was like, I think it was. Because I started Googling, what's a sconce master? What's a sconce? And I, it never really says the same. I found like eight articles, and they all kind of say the same thing. But he did it so fast in 11 seconds um, that it left the sconce master floundering. And they immediately put it in the Guinness Book of World Records, apparently. Which, the Guinness Book of World Records, I don't know if you know, but it actually is named after Guinness beer. Like, it actually started through get the company of Guinness. So of course uh, they would keep the right yeah, drinking this, records. Yeah, this is probably one of the first records I would guess. <laughs> but he was quoted to say, "This feat uh, was to endear me to some of my fellow Australians more than anything else I've ever achieved." Uh, so yeah, that's... <laughs> you know, you know, I had a friend. I have a good friend. I haven't seen her in a while. She uh, she went over to the UK and she's kind of a few fries short of a happy meal, you know, and <laughs> and uh, she goes that. over there. She goes over there and she she goes up to the bar and she says, "I want I'm going to order. I'd like to order a pint, please." And the bartender said to her, "Excuse me, ma'am. You know, uh, ladies usually don't, you know, order pints. You know." And yeah. she looked at this guy and said, "I never said I was a lady, now, did I?" <laughs> and then she, and then she said, "She says I couldn't believe it. All of a sudden, all these pints started uh, started showing up right in front of me." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, Elaine. Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> they all bought her one. <laughs> I love it. All right, one more thing that I don't have a date for, but happened in 1954. And this, we're going to have to jump uh, over the pond to India. Uh, The city of Bombay, India, had such a bad rat problem in 1954 that they they began accepting dead rats in place of taxes. Uh, They thought if they get everybody hunting rats and you could turn in dead rats to pay your taxes. this kind of backfired because people started mass breeding rats uh, so they could kill them <laughs> and use them for their tax payments. <laughs> so, oh, man. Yes. According to popculture.us, that's what happened in 1954. Uh, wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a great phrase that applies here. It's like, uh, don't worry about trying to make something foolproof because you always underestimate the fool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is the perfect saying for that. That's awesome. All right, now we're going to jump into some dates. Are you guys ready? Uh, you yeah. bet. Let's go. Thursday, January 14th, 1954, where we have a notable marriage in Milo. Take yes. it away. You're going to tell us all about this, right? Yeah. Uh, not, I don't know huge amounts about it, but that is the wedding date of Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio, the ball player. All right. Yeah, they were married that day. And uh, from what I understand, they, I mean, they weren't, they weren't married the entire year. They only really? married. Yeah, they, uh, they were married. And then they went on a honeymoon. He had arranged a honeymoon in Japan. Sounds lovely and romantic. Yeah. But the press, or not the press, but the U.S. Army found out that the two of them were in Japan. So they called her immediately to see if she could go over to Korea and entertain the troops because this is still part of the Korean War. Oh, yeah, apparently. the Korean War is still going on. Right, yeah. yeah. 
So uh, they called her and says, hey, could you come over and entertain the troops for the Korean War? And she, of course, said yes. Wow. So a lot of those pictures you hmm. see of her at the, you know, entertaining troops at the Korean War are her honeymoon. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Really? Yeah, wow. yeah really. Um, but huh. anyway, um, poor Joe uh, lost his bride on his honeymoon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <'cause, laughs> yeah, so uh, he, he, he wasn't the happiest guy, but, you know, he dealt with it. But he was he, apparently he was kind of je either jealous or ultra conservative, that kind of thing. Because both, I would guess. Yeah. I mean, you're, married uh, most, yeah. you're married to the most beautiful woman in the world, right? Like, yeah. How, I, it's founded. Yeah. I, I, yeah. You can't blame the guy. <laughs> yeah. Can't blame him at all, actually. Yeah. But um, then when they got back, she started filming, like later that year, she started filming the movie The Seven Year Itch. Oh, yeah. And that's okay. the one where she's standing on the grate and the dress is flying up yes. and everything else. That's the most famous one, probably. Yeah. yeah. And he was on set that day. Really? He was on set watching this and everybody oh. hooting and hollering and having a good time and she not caring. And uh, yeah. it got to be too much for, her, for him. So uh, they just, you know, and too much media attention and he didn't like it. Yeah. And apparently he got, I won't say mad. And then she filed for divorce. Yeah, uh, in October of that year. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be hard to be married to the most beautiful woman in the world. But you look at the guys she married; they're not attractive fellas. You no. Know? <laughs> uh, but she no. But another thing about Marilyn is that she really valued uh, education. She thought okay. people who were smart were sexy. Okay. So she read like a fiend. I mean, she, yeah. you know, she has this image of a the less than brainy blonde. Yeah. But she read like a fiend, and she, you know, she she could talk with most people. So yeah. the people she married were also very smart people. So DiMaggio was smart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Arthur Miller, yeah. Arthur could, Miller, definitely, yeah. 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 Super so she smart. could talk art with Arthur Miller and that kind of yeah. stuff, and other people around her. So yeah. Um, smart guys aren't always the prettiest, but. Yeah, but that's what she that's, was into. That's true. That's cool. That's, yeah. uh, I think that's exciting. That, yeah, a lot, so, I don't think a lot of people know that about her, that she's smart. Yeah, and, she she really tried to, I mean, because she studied acting with some of the big uh, method actors like Uta Hagen and, you know, that crowd. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, she, uh, but she liked the brain. She thought brain, she thought uh, being smart was super sexy. So she tried to be smart. As well, yeah. and did pretty good at it, from what I understand. Well, but she's the right. you know, it but, is super sexy. Yeah, it is. I think so too. Yeah, but yeah. you know, there's still this uh, part of our monkey brain DNA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, quit whistling at my wife, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. <laughs> yeah, but that was their marriage. It was eight months long at best. Okay. Interesting. It, mm -hmm. Was this her first marriage? I, um, I don't know. I I want to say yes, but I'm not sure. I think she was only married to the two guys. Yeah, I think it was just DiMaggio two. and I don't remember Arthur Miller. I feel like because we cut. I think I covered on here, uh, you know, her movie career, and it wasn't. You know, it just started at this time. Oh no, I guess right. she. I oh, know. I guess she. Yeah, yeah. That's right. She married. Actually, she was married to somebody named James Doherty from 1942 to 1946. I just saw on Wikipedia. 
That was so, probably before she was well known. I'm guessing. Yeah, I think that was like a. Oh, that might have been a like a high school sweetheart or a hometown sweetheart, or something like that. Yeah. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, gosh, she so, had, Every time I look at her, she's so beautiful. Yeah. Oh no, those are the only three people. The only three husbands. He no, he officer. he is known for his work on ABC Stage sixty seven back in nineteen sixty six. Who James was James Doherty? James Doherty, yes. Really? Okay. Yeah, so wow. fifty six four five yeah. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. Uh she James Doherty for four years, Joe DiMaggio eight months, and Arthur Miller five years. Yeah, um, he was a police officer who broke a plot to kidnap James Garner, according to Wikipedia. Really? Yeah, I just saw mm-hmm. Wikipedia real quick. And yeah. And he went to school with Jane Russell. Which is, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm just like, yeah. Anyway, yeah, we don't have to get in all that. <laughs> I mean, you can follow in a rabbit hole. hole. Yeah, like yeah. I could, forever I could get into that. Which Amy, see, if Amy was here, she'd just rattle all that off because she was like a big Marilyn Monroe fan. Uh, as you can tell if you ever met Amy. But, well, cool, Milo. That's great. That's good information about that's Joe DiMaggio's marriage to Marilyn Monroe. A little bit about yeah. that. I'm sure that's at least three things most people didn't know. Um, I didn't know about the honeymoon and yeah. jaunt over to Korea. Yeah, I was, it, was fun to, it was fun to look that up. It was fun to look yeah. at that. That is interesting. I didn't know about the honeymoon either. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that. That's good You're info. Welcome. That's why I love this. I love, you know, I always feel hesitant when I have guests on because I'm like, hey, you want to be a guest? Also, you want to do some work for the for the show? <laughs> like, uh, they have to do. You have to actually uh, do some work for me, uh, make it easier for me. But I appreciate that, and I, that's why I like to have smart people that are in the, you know, the performing arts world because they're usually up for stuff like this. See, so. smart is sexy. Smart is sexy. We're three sexy guys on this podcast. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sexy sausage party right now. That, that's uh, the new name of your podcast right there. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we'll have to have you guys on the Gruff and Loud show with Steve, too. Like, uh, jump on there with the. All right. So we're, that's going to bring us to January 20th, 1954. And Art, it's now your turn to drop some knowledge about the ne- National Negro Network. Yes. Which it, I did not know existed until oh, yeah. I started Googling this. Yeah, it was founded by uh, a guy by the name of, he was a Chicago advertiser. His name was W. Leonard Evans Jr. Okay. And it was the first black-owned radio network in the country. Okay. And its programming was broadcast on up to, I think, 45 affiliates. Wow. Yeah, and let's let's see um, other stuff that I found out about it. Um their goal was to reach 12, 12 to 15 million African-Americans in America at that time. Oh, oh wow. That was That's their goal. And they yeah. came up with content for for an African-American audience. Awesome. And interestingly, they <sighs> produced other things other than because they had their they had DJs and things like that as well. Um, African-American prominent uh, uh, African-American DJs at the time. Um at their affiliate stations, uh, but they also had things like uh, br- symphony concerts from his- uh, historical black colleges, for instance. Oh, that's cool. Oh yeah, and um, uh, the other thing I found really interesting about this was that they did radio drama as well. Really? Yeah, they had a a soap opera called "The Story of Ruby Valentine," 
which was based on CBS's We Love and Learn, which was a soap opera, and As the Twig is Bent. And it starred Juanita Hill and Ruby D. Oh, really? Ruby D. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they also had uh, the cereal was sponsored by um, Philip Morris and Pet Milk. They had sponsors. <laughs> That's awesome. They so had you, how many stations did you say they had? How many affiliates? Forty-five affiliates, all across the country. Across the country. Wow, is that a large number for that time? Because I, I don't. Well, know. yeah, it seems large to me, being 1954, and I mean, it, it, a lot of times I'm doing research for this podcast as I've started with. You know, we did the 60s before we did the 50s. We're kind of working backwards by decade. As I got to the 50s, like most of the news I'm finding, like I just Google like dates and times and things. And a lot of things are like TV stations are still just popping up. Like their TV is so new at this time. So radio uh, is everything. It's still uh, king. Television is out there. Um, the The big networks are still doing network radio at this point. NBC um cbs um and at, at that point i think we're now talking about nbc red and blue the blue network becomes abc oh is that interesting. What yeah because what had happened uh they got nbc got busted and uh, because of antitrust laws you know they were considered um oh, way yeah. too big and yeah. so because they had the two networks nbc red remained nbc but nbc blue which had the more minor entertainment on it um, that became ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Huh. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I figured this would be a good one for you because it's about a radio <laughs> radio programming, and you guys do a radio you know, play and everything. So, Well, yeah. you know, also, too, interestingly enough, some of these shows that they did were produced by Cab Calloway and oh. Ethel Waters. Those are big names there. Very yeah. cool. So this so was a big deal. So the, so programming ran the gamut on this this particular network. It just would. Like, well, I guess just like any other network at the yeah, time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think just being that it's national, I think it's like the big deal too, right? Because they probably had local – there was probably local channels for black people. But um, this this is the first time it's all across the nation and – Oh, yeah. A, seems like a lot of big cities there for 1954. But it makes sense, though, because I don't think it could have happened in the because of the Depression of the 30s. And then World yeah. War II basically put everything on hold. Yeah. And now everybody's back, and now people are starting to get their lives back and families. And I could see where this would, would connect a lot of people, and it makes it makes sense that it would happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's good. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's just like things we don't. You just take for granted all the things that have happened and that you stumble upon. And I, I don't know. We just continually on this show, we Amy and I just keep finding things that it, it's funny. It's just like I didn't know that happened. I didn't know that existed. I'm this many years old and I didn't know, you know, like, yeah, and just like in a lot of times in history, all the I mean, we went through the 60s and it was just almost at times it was just like, is this even fun? It's just like, it, there's so, you know, with civil rights and everything, just how awful our history is and racist our history <laughs> is. And it's just like, there's so many things. But then there's some, you know, cool things that we discover and fun things. But it's, it's just so much throughout history that I think yeah. happenings and timelines and being surprised by them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because the early 50s, for 
for television was oh. the time that puppetry came into prominence on American television. Yeah, Howdy Doody was a big deal. Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, the early uh, when television was just starting out, all these stations are looking for content. Yep. And a puppet show was easy because it's one or two people doing shows as opposed to, you know, live, you know, something live. A whole cast. A, a dozen of human beings, which is right. a big yeah. deal. Yeah. Yeah. A lot so, of these uh, game shows. I can't believe how many mm-hmm. of these games. There's a lot of game shows. Quiz shows. Yeah. Quiz and shows those were, big. those were prime time at that point. That was before the 21 scandal actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking a little bit, uh, I think last few episodes, 1953, about some of the ones. And uh, I think one of the big ones that you can still see on YouTube is um, uh, guess. It's like, guess my secret. I can't remember. It's what's my secret. What's, uh, my, what's line? my line? I've, and I've got a secret. I've got a secret. And what's my line? Yes. And I've got a secret. There's one. And I've seen I watched this a couple of times. I still watch it just like because I can't believe it's possible for this person to be on television, but it was a it was an old man who witnessed Abe Lincoln's uh, assassination. That's right. Uh, and he witnessed him when he was a, he was like five or something, but he was there and he saw it all. And now he was like 1953 is like a million years old and he can barely open his eyes. It's like that's history right there. Like we can we yes. can watch on TV this guy who saw that. So it's not that long ago. You know, it, it's like a piece of history that you can see. It's just it's fascinating to me, I guess. Um, Wow. Yeah. Old enough well, to see. What's that? Old enough to be at Lincoln, you know, to remember Lincoln's assassination. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Just to that think about, just... like, it puts it into perspective. Like it's... Speaking of 50s <laughs> television, I have to go there. I, I, yeah. Can I talk about other podcasts? Because I heard, I heard something. I'm listening to the podcast right now uh, that TCM does. And they do a podcast. Right now, they're doing one on Lucille Ball. And I just really? hit on it by accident. It's really good. There's one thing that I didn't, I for, completely forgot about. Desi Arnaz was really, really talented. And a lot of people don't realize it. And he really had a brain about things. And he was, he, it was in the contract when they filmed I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. Those were to be filmed in 35 millimeter. Okay. As opposed to. 16, which is, you know, which is, they didn't want to go kinescope. That's why, that's why when they would rerun them, they looked great because it was 35 millimeter stock. 35 millimeter is, is movie stock. Oh, okay. That, that makes sense. So you're right. he insisted on it being a better quality product. Exactly. Because he knew about this. He knew about the future of where this is going because it is better it does seem way better quality now that you mentioned that well well well, kinescope let me help you out with that kinescope was just a process where they took a 16 millimeter camera and they pointed it at a television monitor and whatever was going on you know in the studio is what you saw on that monitor and that's why the quality is so bad because it's a you know you're taking a picture of a a television screen a television monitor oh it's, it's it's filtered heavily yes yeah Wow, I'm learning way more about film. That I, I, I was. Uh, it's funny you talk about kinescope. Like you're just like you understand this. So yeah, I can see. I'm just googling it. And you can see pictures, images right away. Just kind of put it in context what Art's saying. Um, there was a some kind of scope who had just been invented in 1953. A movie 
Oh, what is it? Um, Cinemascope? Cinemascope, yeah. Can you explain that to me? Not really. Because <laughs> okay. I, I know the term. Because I it, it came out in 1953, and it was like one of the notable things in 1953. And I was going to try to explain, oh, Cinemascope started in 1953. And I, I Googled it, and I Googled it, and I read, and I was Wikipedia, and I was like, I don't know that I understand what this really is. Like, I'm not it's, smart enough to get this. I don't know enough about film. It's a different kind of way to f- screen it. I think it from what I, a, well, I dumbed it down as basically what I imagined was with, once Cinescope came, it's the full rectangle. Like, it's just a square. I think before that, when you went to the movies, it was just a square. Like on the screen was probably bigger and it was just a small square. And once Cinescope came, it was widened, like sort of widescreen, I guess. Uh, I think two things about Cinemascope. Yes, it, it it started standardizing that that widescreen format. But I think Cinemascope also uh, did something with film color. I think oh, there be. was a new process for color uh, filmmaking and production. So. Uh, so those things might be, you know, here it is, yeah. here it is. I got a little bit of a working definition. A cinemascope uh, process is, um, uh, to compress a wide image into a standard frame and then expand it again during projection. It results in an image that is almost two and a half times as wide as it is high. Okay. Wow. Okay. So it's more of a big rectangle yes. than it probably was before. Yeah. Before that, you would see just a small. Yeah. I, I blew my kids' minds the other day by telling them that black and white, like my daughter didn't know that TV was just black and white for a while. Like, you know, they have no idea <laughs> anything. Like, I remember being a kid and, and I really thought that I was so dumb as a little kid, but I remember seeing, like, you know, you'd see like the older shows that are black and white and then the color came. I think for a while I thought the world was black and white and then color like happened in the world. Uh, and I think a just... lot, I think a lot of our generation thought that because I distinctly remember asking my grandmother, "Did you guys have color when you were young?" And yeah. I remember the entire living room just laughing out loud. Everybody just at laughed me. at you, like you thought everything was black and white because it was yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything I saw on TV was black and white prior to my birth. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, this is man, this is all cool stuff. You guys are great at this. Uh, I definitely have to have you guys back on. I think. Uh, Yay! We'll have to Yay. do this like annually or something. Um, but I have before we get into our true crime because I have to add a true crime, even though I hate true crime. January 29, nineteen fifty four. There's a thing I do that I, I don't know if you guys are familiar. Or if you've listened at all, you would know that. Um, I really think it's notable to talk about people who were born at this time. And Amy hates that I do this, um, typically because uh, I usually pick random, obscure sitcom actors to talk about when they were born. And then I go into where they were born and what school they went to. Uh, and then sometimes the maybe the colors of their team and what mascot of the high school they went to and then what other people they went to high school with. Amy. Amy hates birthdays, but this on this day, January 29th, 1954, Oprah Gail Winfrey was born. And her first name, I don't know if you guys know this, but her first name is actually Orpa, O-R-P-A-H. Orpa Gail Winfrey was on her birth certificate. 
after the biblical figure in the book of Ruth. But so many people mispronounced it regularly, and so Oprah stuck. That's how huh. she became Oprah. Interesting. She, yes. <laughs> she was born in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, to an unmarried teenage mother. Her mother, Vernita Lee, was a housemaid. And Win- Winfrey's biological father is usually noted as Vernon Winfrey, but there was some uh, there's some uh, controversy to that. Um, there was somebody else who claimed to be her biological father, but she refused to believe it, and that's a whole another thing. But so after her birth, her mother traveled north, and Winfrey sent, spent her first six years living in rural poverty with her maternal grandmother Hattie May Lee. Uh, her grandmother was so poor that Winfrey all often wore dresses made of potato sacks for which other children made fun of her. Uh, her grandmother taught her to read before the age of three and took her to the local church where she was nicknamed the preacher for her ability to recite Bible verses. When Winfrey was a child, her grandmother was reportedly abusive, unfortunately. But Oprah attended Lincoln High School in Milwaukee, the same high school that Al Jarreau went to. Uh, but after early success in the Upward Bound program, she was transferred to the affluent suburb Nicolette High School. Their team colors are white and blue, home of the Knights, also the same school that Kate O'Kalen went to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> her mother once again sent her to live with Vernon, her father in Nashville. And then Vernon was strict but encouraging and made her education a priority. And she became an honor student and was voted most popular girl and joined her high school speech team at East Nashville High School. The team is red and gray, home of the Eagles. Notable alumni include Bill Boner, 1963, class of 1963, the third mayor of metropolitan Nashville, Davidson County. Um so his name is Boner, so I had to talk about him. Yeah, uh, he didn't get but, teased in high school. Yeah, No, know, not at all. Yeah. But <laughs> Oprah placed second in the nation in dramatic interpretation of that school. And Oprah's first job as a teenager was working at a local grocery store. At the age of 17, Oprah won the Miss Black Tennessee beauty pageant and also attracted the attention of the local black radio station, WVOL, which hired to do the news part-time. She worked there during her senior year of high school and her first two years of college. And then Oprah became Oprah, and we all know who Oprah is. But it's Orpa. Orpa Winfrey. You can tell people that's her on her birth certificate and that you've learned it uh, from American Timelines. And now it's time for the true crime. I'm going to jump into a murder story that will hopefully grip you all uh, to tune in next week because it's going to be a cliffhanger. Mm. I'm going to talk a little bit about, I know this is American timelines, but I'm going to talk about sometimes we're reaching to try to find a murder every month. Uh, So far we've found one for every single month, uh, but this one is in India, the Bellarani Dutta murder case of 1954. January 31st, 1954, shops in the Kaligat Refugee Market, which is sort of an outdoor, very busy market place in India. It would get very, very busy during the day, so the cleaners had to get up even before the break of dawn to scrub and sweep the place clean before the deluge of people arrived. One of these sweepers cleaning the place noticed three newspaper-wrapped packets outside a toilet next to a crematorium that is just outside the marketplace. The newspaper covering was torn around the edges, 
and when the sweeper peeped to see what was inside, he let out a yelp of terror. The package was tied with a coconut coil rope, and there were marks of dried blood on the newspaper, and protruding from it were human fingers. Dum, dum, dum. Soon a crowd gathered in no time. The Tally Gunge police station was informed. Officers came down and had to first clear out the crowd that had been looking intensely at the packets. Then they opened the packets one after the other. They contained two arms that went up to the elbow joint, palm, fingers, wrist, and forearm, ending at the elbow. All of these had been chopped into pieces. The newspapers used were of the November 21st edition of the Jugantar, is a, is a, news, a local newspaper. And then on January 30th, 1954, the day before, in the afternoon, a guard at nearby Kaligat Park, that's K-A-L-I-G-H-A-T, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, uh, it's like six minutes away from here, had just finished his lunch when he spotted something behind the trunk of a mango tree. What was lying amid the thick bushes and weeds? Well, it was four newspaper-wrapped packets tied with coconut coil ropes. Filled with curiosity, he tore open the newspapers in a swift movement, mindless of the consequences. What he saw inside threw him into a fit of hysteric fear. He started screaming and running around like a crazy person, so bystanders noticed. And within a couple of minutes, nearly 100 people had gathered around the packets. In one, there were dismembered body parts, two legs from knee to the sole, and another, the upper portion of a woman's body, chopped into three portions. In the third, there was a head with eyes gouged out, ears and lips torn off, facial skin peeled off. Excuse me while I throw up. (laughs) Too much douche mail. All of this had been done with an obvious intent to make the face unrecognizable. Only a few strands of hair were stuck on the head. And in the third packet was a full-grown dead fetus, perhaps a few days or hours before birth. Oh, wow. Oh. This is getting my stomach to say, I hate true crime. Uh, um, officers from the Tally Gunge Police Station rushed again, this time to Caligat Park, even as the early morning's unusual discovery had hardly sunk in. Officers from the Homicide Department of Lal Bazaar, headquarters of the Kolkata Police, rushed there, too. All this is in Kolkata, India. Um and so all four packets had been made using the Jugantar newspaper editions of November 21st, 1953, January 10th, 1954, January 25th, 1954, and January 26th, 1954. And the savagery of this deed was so horrifying that everyone from the crowd that had gathered to the policemen who were collecting the packets and other evidence were shaken. The park was searched thoroughly, and out came another packet, which contained two portions of two thighs. The newspaper that it was wrapped in, go ahead and guess, it was the Jugantar. And that is where we're going to leave it for now, until we get to February of 1954, and I'll continue in the next episode. Uh, So just a little like... What is going to happen here in India? Yeah, how very Jack the Ripper, you know? Yeah, Yeah. very. Well, it's probably something nobody's heard about from 1954 in India. Like, how would we? Yeah. Like, news was different then. Like, now we would all hear about it. Oh, true, true. Yeah. Like, be all over the national news and YouTube and Twitter and, yeah. What kind of person does that and then takes the time to wrap up everything individually with a bow 
chop it up in all these pieces and then put it out in the marketplace because you want people to find it and you want to horrify everybody, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I will guess, based on 170 episodes of this podcast with Amy, I will guess it was someone who was either abused as a child or had a brain injury as a child because it's pretty much those are kind of the common (laughs) things here. You're seeing a thread, are you? (laughs) Yes. It's always either an abuse, abusive situation. And or they you know, and then early signs might have been that they tortured animals as a child, which wow. is all yeah. like, uncomfortable to talk about. So sorry to end it on that <laughs> that awful <laughs> note, uh, guys. Uh, but uh, yeah, so you guys will have to listen to the next episode if you want to know. What yeah, no kidding. Yeah, definitely. So, wow. Yeah, and on that note, listen to the Kringle Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a terrible way to segue into that's okay that's yeah. okay go from mass murdering to a christmas special yeah it has no mass <laughs> but if you don't want the murders you can listen to wjcu dot uh, org dot org and listen to the christmas programming on christmas eve and christmas day right both days absolutely the schedule will be up on the website definitely yeah. absolutely that is awesome so yeah and this and support support local artists small well i guess you're not local to cleveland but you were uh writing you know local people writing things and and local creative art you know and musicians and and musicians and and craftsmen and actors and absolutely any any artist you can find yeah support your local theater person we all thank you we all need Thank our you. creative outlet, right? And you guys, Absolutely. sounds like you guys have fun doing it. Oh, God, I can't yeah. Wait to listen. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so so we'll check the schedule at WJC, WJCU.org, and it'll be up, should be up soon, right? If yes, not, very soon. Yeah. The, usually usually about a week, week and a half before Christmas, they start to they start to put the posts up and everything about it. So, uh, awesome. yeah, I, I, we, I enjoyed doing it for so many years, but it's nice to actually work with people you know uh, uh because it was always me producing editing yeah. directing and writing well now i got milo and i and maggie maggie is an incredible editor by the way really um yeah she's really good she's really good that's yeah, amazing she's, yeah, How she's old a sound she? she's 26 oh what <laughs> i was that in perspective <laughs> that's your daughter yeah that's my older uh, she's 26 I was, I was picturing her to be one still uh, uh, but I forgot. That's right. She was one 25 years ago. When, yeah, she hasn't when, gotten much taller, but she's a lot smarter. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. She's not a baby child. That's no, right. she's, oh she's an adult with uh, some mad skills as a sound engineer and sound designer. Yeah, yeah I haven't seen her since she was one. So that's awesome that she is doing that. You're, uh, you're keeping the family. And I bet this would be something that would be cool, you know, as you have your family get togethers. You know, you you have music. You got to have stuff in the background anyway, right? Right. Everyone's got the radio on. Put it on and listen with the family. Yeah, absolutely. One, That's a grand idea. Absolutely. The, one of the things that I remember when I was a kid was because we would travel and the radio stations in Sandusky, that's where I'm from, Sandusky, yeah. Ohio, okay. um, the, the local radio station actually had really neat stuff on. It just wasn't all, you know, the 24-hour Christmas marathon music. It was It yeah. was stuff. And so that's what I really wanted to do, and that's what I told uh, the station director. And 
um, it looks like it is that way now. You know, they they do have a lot of nice content for that day. You know that you can do. You know, finishing up your you know your cooking, wrap or wrapping stuff, or or just yeah. traveling. Yeah, traveling too would be a great way. Now that everybody's got their phones have the internet with them all the time. Oh yeah, connected to their radio, you can turn off your TV, turn off the marathon of Christmas Story this year, and just turn on the internet and let it play uh, on WJCU.org. That's awesome. Absolutely, that's cool. Well, thank you guys for being on here and doing this work. And thank research. you, Joe. Thank, thank you, you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. Check it out. My pleasure. It's great to hear from you guys again and talk to you guys again. It's like it's been 20 some years, but I'm sure none of us have aged. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's great to hear these familiar voices. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We all look exactly the same as we did 20 years ago. Uh, Oh, sure. um, Yeah. Yeah, I got a portrait in the attic. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're gonna have to do a Zoom happy hour pretty soon. Uh, That'll be I fun. Have some, yeah, I want to have some eggnog with you guys. Good uh, enough. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Go ahead and rate and review, subscribe. Please give us five stars on the Apple. Uh, somebody gave us a, a one star review, and somebody gave us a two star review. So we got to counterbalance those two jerks uh, with more five star reviews. So please get on the iTunes and or I don't know if it's even called iTunes anymore, Apple Podcasts, whatever, and give us a five star. Thank you for listening, Art Milo. Thanks for being here. We're gonna take off. Thanks everybody. But it's time to get out of here, Chuck Bear. Truman Ego Trip is the greatest band of all time. Buy their music 